man, I'm really thankful to be here with you this morning. Thank you for gathering with us. Thank you for enduring the beautiful sunshine and uh, the tan that you're going to get after this. Thank you for making that big sacrifice. No, but seriously, your kids and the wind uh, and the restroom situation. I'm really glad to see all of you here despite all the reasons that you could have stayed home. Uh, I just want to thank you for um, being inconvenienced for the sake of coming together and hearing God's word and being in community. Um, Really joyful to be here with you. If you're looking for a seat back there, there's a few up here and a few over here, just so you know. Um, We're going to keep things as short as possible, but we are going to open God's word. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. I like thinking about the future. Um, I like thinking about, man, what's summer going to look like? Um, what are we going to do in the fall? What, what kind of vision are we going to cultivate uh, for ministry moving forward? What kind of ministries are we going to launch? Who's going to be discipled? What God? What is God going to do? I like thinking about the future that way. If it was up to me, um, we'd be... Well, we'd be wherever we were in First Peter, but we'd be in more that direction if I could choose. Um, that's one reason we go through books of the Bible, so I don't get to choose what we preach every week, but the Bible forces us to address what it says. Um, but we are in a really unique time in our country, in our nation, in our city, and I felt that it was appropriate to stop for a second and slow down, and instead of just looking forward to the future, to look at the present and where we are currently, and to consider this season of our lives in America as Americans and in our city and in our area, and the events that have been happening lately um, have really, I think, rocked uh, our nation in a unique way. I think they've hit home for a lot of folks in different ways. And so we are going to be looking at what scripture has to say about that. We are going to be looking at biblical justice this morning in an effort to help us as Christians think biblically about justice and not just politically and not just socially, but first biblically. So you can open up your Bible to First Peter chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning as we continue our series there in First Peter. We're going to be starting in verse 9. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get to work. Father God, we do thank you for a chance to get together. Thank you for your goodness in our lives. Thank you, God, for your grace in providing a location for us to meet as a church. Uh, God, thank you for the fact that we get to sing and worship together, that we get to hear your word together, and that we get to see each other, even if at a little bit of a distance. We are really grateful for that. And like Noah prayed, uh, God, we are thankful, um, if anything, to actually be together and forgive us for taking that for granted um, because we all we all do at times. So thank you that we get to be here together this morning. Help us to think clearly through your word. Help us to think clearly through justice. Help us to think clearly through how we as Christians ought to respond in seasons like these and all to all the injustices that we see um, on a daily, monthly, yearly basis. We know there's thousands of them. So we want to think biblically and rightly about those. Help us to do that, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. What comes to your mind when I say the word justice? What do you think of when you hear the word justice? Maybe some of you have really particular thoughts. Maybe some of you in image or a scene or experience pops into mind. Maybe a definition pops into mind. What do you think of when you hear the word justice? In 1859, in the midst of American slavery, years before it was abolished from our nation, a man named John Brown 
led a couple of dozen men in a raid on a federal armory. His intention was to begin a slave revolution, rebellion. He was vehemently anti-slavery and abolitionist, which is a good thing. But in the process of this rebellion that he was seeking to start, um, lots of people lost their lives, including three black men at his hands and the hands of his men. He might have thought he had good intentions, he was an abolitionist, but is that justice? Is that the way we seek justice? In 2009, 1993 rather, and additionally in 2009, but in 2009, an abortion doctor named David Gunn was gunned down by a man named Michael Griffin outside of his abortion clinic. Man, Michael Griffin was a Christian and he thought, if I kill this person, they won't kill babies and so I should kill this person and he did so. Um, we would all say it's a good thing that less babies die, but is that justice? Same thing happened in 2009. A Christian gunned down an abortion doctor. Are those things justice? Today we are seeing, I think they're tapering off thankfully, but we've seen over the past week an outpouring of depravity in rioting and looting and that sort of thing on a scale that is hard for me to think of a time in recent history that has paralleled it. Is that justice? How should we as Christians think about justice? How should we consider justice? And how should we respond to injustice? That's the first point for us to consider. Friends, we must seek biblical justice. We must seek biblical justice. In Matthew chapter six, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. But in Matthew chapter six, the Lord Jesus gave his disciples and gave us a template for prayer. You'll recall these verses, Matthew 6, 9 through 10. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We as Christians are called to pray for and to seek God's will and God's kingdom to become more and more and more of a reality on earth. Part of this includes the reality of biblical justice. Christians ought to seek biblical justice. After all, God is the God of justice. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, the prophet Isaiah says this, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter here quotes Psalm 34. He says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. That's our words. His lips from speaking. That's our words from speaking deceit. Verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. That's with our actions. Christians are supposed to speak in a way that reflects God and act in a way that reflects God. And part of that is seeking justice like God because God is the God of justice. We need to understand what God desires when it comes to injustice and what God desire, desires when it comes to righting injustice, to making injustice right. God desires justice for all injustices. I'll give you a few categories. God desires justice for the poor and the needy. Proverbs 31 verse 9. 
The author says this, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. God desires justice, biblical justice for the poor and needy. See, sometimes we think in Orange County here, we think, look, it's merely an issue of working harder, of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, of doing the right thing, of getting out of bed, of not being lazy. Certainly those are all really good values and certainly sometimes the issue is laziness. It's not always merely an issue of working harder, however. Sometimes there are deeper issues. There are millions of people in the world who are weak and needy. There are many among us who are weak and needy. There are many among us who have come from broken families, fatherless families, abusive families, and oftentimes the children are the ones that bear the brunt and pay the price of these iniquities. There are poor and weak and needy among us. God desires justice for them. God desires justice for inequality of all kinds. This would be racial, this would be gender, this would be any other category you want to fill in. It doesn't just have to be hot in the media. This would be inequality of all kinds, of any kind. All human beings, the Bible teaches clearly and repeatedly, are image bearers of God. What that means, one thing it means, is that we as human beings have intrinsic value and worth because we're created in God's image. The gospel then is offered to all. Life in Christ is offered to all without reference to race or gender, without reference to class or social status. We, we need to know, and I know that maybe many of us know this, we need to think about the fact and rejoice in the fact that heaven will be home to the most diverse multitude that we have ever laid eyes upon. Revelation, Revelation chapter seven, verses nine through 10 says this. After this, I looked. John, the author, is getting this vision of heaven. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to the Lord, our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. See, everyone in heaven will look different different shapes, sizes, backgrounds, colors, different experiences on earth. We all are wearing one color though. We're all wearing white because we've all been clothed in Jesus's righteousness. That's what the gospel does for us. That's how the gospel unites us. We all get to wear white because we all become spotless, not sinless, but forgiven and with new natures and new hearts and new desires. God desires justice for the weak and the helpless and the voiceless poor and needy, inequality of all kinds for the weak as well, the helpless and the voiceless. Proverbs 31, 8 says this, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth for the mute and the rights of all who are destitute. Probably the greatest injustice, if we had to name one today, uh, in our modern, enlightened, civilized age, uh, is the murder of one million children every year in their mother's wombs. That is probably the greatest injustice, and it amazes me, and I, th I think it's a good thing, but it's incredible to me how pro-life everyone's become all of a sudden uh, when it comes to a virus 
and threats from a virus, I think that's a good thing. I think it's good to preserve life. It's good to take those types of measures. It's fine that people are willing to shut the economy down. All, all those things are fine. Whatever we might think about the details, that's all good. But it's just amazing that that happens while at the same time a million kids are being killed every single year and no one bats an eye. That's probably the greatest injustice. And church, God desires justice for the weakest and the most helpless and the neediest. God desires justice for all manner of evil and wickedness. All evil and all wickedness. God hates sin and loves justice. He hates iniquity and loves equity. And Christians, we must hate what God hates, love what God loves, and seek what God seeks with our words and with our actions. This is what Peter says in verses 10 and 11. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. We're not saved by doing good. We're not saved by not speaking deceitfully. We're not saved by doing nice things or being moral people. There's a lot of people who are very moral on earth who will die and not be saved. The way that we're saved is through Jesus Christ and his work alone, his work being credited to us and applied to us all by his mercy and favor. That is how we're saved. But now being Christians, being transformed, being made new, now we seek to obey God and to love God and to pursue God and to reflect God. And yeah, we're going to make mistakes and we're going to blow it and we're going to be unjust. But man, as Christians, we now by grace pursue to reflect God and obey God. That's what Peter is saying here. This includes in biblical justice, in the category of biblical justice. So we must seek justice with our words and our actions, but our compass for this, again, our compass for this must be Scripture. Our compass for this must be Scripture. Our compass for this must not be the cultural currents or our political affiliations or the loudest voices, but the Bible. These issues are biblical before they are political. They are biblical before they are social. And while we may not agree on every detail, we must seek to think biblically together. Okay, we must seek biblical justice. Number two, we must seek peace. Read verse 11 with me. Again, of 1 Peter chapter three. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Now here's the second part. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. As we've said, as you've witnessed, as we've all seen, violence and terror and destruction has swept across our nation. Thankfully, it seems to be winding down. But an outpouring of depravity and lawlessness ha has been present on a massive scale. And, and we must think, through, we can't ignore that. We have to think through how do we respond to that as Christians? How do we respond to that as Christians? I'll start with how we shouldn't respond. The answer is never to repay evil with evil. Look back with me at verse nine of 1 Peter 3. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called. The answer is never to repay evil with evil. So here's what this means for us. As we consider these issues, 
Maybe they make us feel grieved. Maybe they make us feel angry. Maybe they, maybe they sadden us. I don't know about you, but I was talking to my wife about this last week. I mean, I have just, and I'm not getting all weird, but I'm, I have just felt a weird kind of tense uneasiness the last couple of weeks. I'm not sure exactly what that is, but it's directly related to all the tumult in our nation. So whatever emotions or thoughts or considerations are bubbling out of your heart coming to the surface, here's what we must consider. We must consider our attitude. We must check our anger. We must guard our tongue as we have conversations with each other in the workplace, in our families. Men, we must lead husbands. You must lead your home well in how you talk about these things. You can't just blow up in emotion and anger. We must consider how to lead well in this area. We need to check our fingers as we log on to social media. It's okay to feel anger. It's okay to feel grief. Ultimately, we must be spirit-led, though, and not flesh-led. We must respond from the spirit and not from our flesh. It's easy to respond from our flesh. I know as well as you know, it's easy to respond from our flesh. We must respond from the spirit who indwells us. The spirit and the flesh make war against one another, but God has given us his spirit that we might live in it, in him and by him and from him and from his power. And we must respond from the spirit and not from the flesh. We must respond like members of God's family and not like members of the world's family. Christians ought to look different than the world. I mean, we know that, right? Christians ought to look different from the world and sound different from the world and operate different than the world. Christians must look different than the world. Repaying evil for evil is not the path to peace, but the path to more evil. We must also pray for peace. We must respond not with evil, but with good. But we must also pray for peace and seek peace. Let him, the righteous person, Peter says, seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Those who seek and make peace and his ears are open to their prayer but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil yes we must stand up for truth and righteousness but we must do so in a way that pursues peace we must do so in a way that pursues peace fueled by prayers for peace this will be on your own and this is in your small groups we're going to have you pray this week in your union groups for peace for our nation, for peace, for the families who are wounded and grieving for peace, for violence to come to an end, for reconciliation between the offender and the offended, peace. Verse 13, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good, even if you should, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. In Peter's day, Christians were suffering because they were Christians. They were being ostracized. They were being isolated. They were being verbally abused. They were being left out of business deals. They, they were suffering socially. Similar to our day, they weren't being persecuted physically yet. They're being persecuted verbally. We need to understand that 
our positions might be unpopular or our approach as Christians might be unpopular, how we think about justice biblically may not be the sexiest way to think about justice. It may not be the most popular way to think about justice. But here's what Peter says. Verse 14, have no fear. Have no fear of them. Why should we have no fear? Back to verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are, are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We must be a people full of the fear of God, not of the fear of man. And we can be full of the fear of God and emptied of the fear of man when we're seeking to be biblical on this issue and countless others. Number three, and lastly, we must seek to be a gospel witness. We must seek biblical justice. We must seek peace. We also must seek to be a gospel witness. Verse 15, honor in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, always being prepared to make a defense, to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do so with gentleness and respect. See, that's what makes Christians look different. That's one thing that makes Christians look different. Do so with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame for it is better to suffer for doing good if we should suffer for God's will than for doing evil. We must seek to be a gospel witness. In the gospel, this is where we'll finish, in the gospel, Jesus Christ, the God-man, condescended to a world not full of justice, but full of injustice. Not full of peace, but full of conflict. Not full of righteousness, but full of sin. Jesus condescended to a world that was separated from God and against God. Jesus comes to a people of different colors and different backgrounds and different social statuses and different economic statuses. Jesus comes to a people with different perspectives and different opinions. He comes to some people whose sin is all outward, like prostitutes, people like that. And then he comes to some people whose sin is mostly inward, like Pharisees, who look very moral on the outside. But inside, Jesus says, they're kind of like a tomb full of dead man's bones. They look really good on the outside, but they're full of death on the inside. Some people have sin that's outward. Some is more inward. Some people are irreligious. And some people are very outwardly religious and Jesus comes and indiscriminately calls all of them, us, to repentance. And he calls all of us to turn to him in faith. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. This is what Jesus says. At the, he preaches at the beginning of his earthly ministry. Mark 1 records that Jesus begins his ministry and he preaches, repent and believe the gospel. That is Jesus' message from the very beginning. Jesus then lived a life completely free of sin, completely righteous and just and full of truth, but also full of care and love and compassion. Jesus then goes to the cross and dies the most unjust death in human history. Some of you may feel that 
you've been treated unjustly. And some of you may look at others who you know or others in the media and say, this is very unjust and it's good to call injustice injustice. But we also need to look at Jesus and look to the cross and realize that is far more unjust than anything I've ever witnessed in my entire life ever. This is the most unjust thing recorded on the pages of scripture that has ever taken place in the history of humanity. And through his arrest and his false unjust trials and his painful torturous scourging and his path to the cross, Jesus does not fight. He does not defend. He does not speak one word of protest, but instead willingly submits. Jesus willingly submits. Peter says in chapter two that he did not return curse for curse or reviling for reviling or violence for violence, but instead he submitted. He submitted. And on the cross, Jesus suffers and dies. Instead of seeking justice for himself, he endured injustice for you and for me. Jesus endured all injustice for you and for me. And on the cross, Jesus not only gives good in exchange for evil. Peter says, don't repay evil for evil, but repay evil for good. That's what Jesus does, except he doesn't just repay good for evil. He repays the greatest good for the worst evil. He repays our sin for his righteousness. Theologians call this the great exchange. On the cross, Jesus exchanges with us. He makes an exchange. He takes our sin, our sin is forgiven, and he gives us his righteousness. That is what takes place on the cross. The greatest good, the most unimaginable good for the worst evil that we all have to offer Jesus. That's all we have to offer him is evil and sin and injustice. We can't come to Jesus with our good works and our morality and our high opinion of ourselves or our capabilities or our philanthropy and say, Jesus, here you go. I've done really well, haven't I? All we can do is bring our sin to Jesus. And what he does is he takes it and absorbs God's wrath for all of our sin and gives us his own righteousness. And that's the gospel. That is the gospel. And that is the only thing in us, church, that will cultivate love, that will cultivate forgiveness and tender heartedness. That is the only thing that will tenderize our hearts. That is the only thing, the gospel is the only thing that will ultimately reconcile us to God and reconcile us to one another. And in the gospel, on the cross, we look to the cross and we see justice fully satisfied. It's good to have a mind for injustices and to seek biblical justice. Ultimately, we look to the cross where justice is truly and fully and ultimately and completely satisfied. The only place where it is truly satisfied. Verse 15 again, 1 Peter 3. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense, to give an answer for anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. As we navigate through this season, we honor Christ. We seek to honor Christ in our own hearts. And then we're prepared to give that answer, to give the gospel answer. We need to be informed. We need to be sensitive. We need to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. There's a lot of people weeping right now. It's good to weep with those who weep. The Bible says to do that. Ultimately, the answer we must give is, 
is not evil for evil or anger for anger, but that gospel answer, that is the answer that we must be prepared to give. Well, I'm gonna invite Dana and the worship team back up. We'll finish up in one song and uh, let you guys corral your kids up. I really want to thank you for being here. Um, and we're going to continue meeting here. We're going to continue our series in First Peter. I pray that what we talked about, what you've heard from God's word today is helpful in some way as we think through the complex and tumultuous issues that we're facing. These are not easy issues, but here's what we know. We have hope and justice on Jesus's cross and in his gospel. Amen. Father God, we thank you for sending Jesus to completely fulfill and satisfy justice. We pray that as we as a church and as individuals work through all of the issues we're facing as a nation uh, and in our city and maybe in our own hearts, that ultimately, God, that you'd, that you'd give us wisdom and insight on all of it, but that ultimately you'd point us back to you and back to your cross and back to your gospel where justice is met and hope is found in Jesus' name, amen.